Hey everyone, good morning. Welcome to Trinity. My name is Matthew and I'm the parish pastor here. It's good to be with you this morning. Jenny mentioned at the end of her sermon last week that we're making some changes to try to make it easier for you to receive pastoral care during this season. In addition to making changes to how we do communion out front, uh, we also changed our website and made it a little bit clearer how you can connect with us. So if you go on our website and go to the Caring Connection page, uh, there's just a little right up there and, and a, an easy way for you to request a meeting with Jenny or me throughout the week. We want to be available to you during this season and we, um, we hope that you'll take advantage of of that. Um, I'm going to read from uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 40 to 45, and then we'll pray and we'll jump into this really beautiful text. A leper came to Jesus, begging him, and kneeling, he said to him, If you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I do choose. Be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And after sternly warning him, he sent him away at once, saying to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the word, so that Jesus could no longer go into the town openly, but stayed out in the country. And people came to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Jesus, we ask that we would see you today saying to this man and saying to us, I do choose. I choose to stretch out my hand. I choose to heal you. I choose to cleanse you, to make you whole. God, help us to receive this as a word of blessing that your spirit would speak over us today. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this story features an encounter between Jesus and a desperate man. A leper, as this man is called, uh, is not merely someone who is afflicted with the medical condition of leprosy, um, which is a debilitating and, and almost always a fatal disease. But it was also a person who was, because of that disease, ostracized from society, oftentimes even from their own family. Um, they had to live on the outskirts of town in leper colonies or in isolation. They were not around anyone. They couldn't receive physical affection except from other lepers. They weren't allowed in the temple. They weren't allowed to make sacrifices. So there was a distance between them and God. It was a lonely, miserable life um, as one just waited to die. As their bodies slowly corroded, the nerve endings in their limbs dying off, skin rupturing, limbs deteriorating. There are many laws in the Bible about leprosy, and for this text, I think it's, it's particularly important to know the laws when it came to what you do when you encounter a person who has leprosy. Um, under no circumstances were you to touch the person, under no circumstances. They didn't have a grasp of microbiology at this point, but they did understand, don't put your hands on the person whose body is falling apart. And so um, if you touched a leper, if a non-leper touched a leper, they were essentially at that point considered uh, leprous. They, they were considered unclean. And maybe this year that for the first time resonates with you and me because I imagine like you, uh, I've found myself many times this year quarantining, not because I was sick, but because I find out that I actually was around a person who was sick. And so I have to, I have to sort of shut down my life for a couple of weeks and stay at home and, 
And while that has been very frustrating for all of us, it, it probably doesn't really map onto the, the, the existence of what would happen to a person if they were to encounter or to come in contact with a leper. A leper was seen as perpetually unclean and therefore unwelcome, uh, unloved, even by God. And so, of course, we're told at the very beginning, a leper came to Jesus begging him. You can hear the weight of that word, begging him. Please, will you do something about this? And Jesus sees the man. He falls to his knees. And we're told that Jesus has moved with pity, and he heals the man and then tells him to keep it quiet, which never works out, by the way. And in the end, Jesus grows in popularity because of this. So we're going to look at this in just three um, movements, each just a, a single line from the story that's going to help us understand what's going on here under the surface in Jesus and that's available to us as a result. So the first we see this, Jesus was moved with pity. This helps us understand what's the motive for this? What's going on inside the heart of Jesus in this moment? Jesus is moved with pity, or some Bibles say with deep compassion. Interestingly, if you go back to some of the earliest manuscripts, we also have it said that he was moved with anger, which I think there's actually a good argument for both, and I don't think they have to be exclusive. I, I think actually they complement each other really well. We see a similar sort of uh, you know, combination of deep compassion and sadness and anger in the raising of Lazarus in the heart of Jesus. So whatever is going on in the heart of Jesus, what, what is clear in this moment is that he is, uh, he is responding out of a stirring within him. He, he's not he, He's not moving towards this man for any reason other than because something in his heart has been pricked. Jesus is doing a miracle not to prove a point in this moment. Jesus is not here to teach a lesson. Jesus is responding out of love. The Archbishop Rowan Williams writes, I love this, it's, he says, it's almost as if he cannot stop himself from performing miracles when his compassion is engaged. Now this makes, uh, this actually casts Jesus' entire miracle ministry in a, in a new light. If you think about it this way, that what Jesus is doing here is not ultimately like a teaching tool. He's not here to try to, to, to try to describe what he is or what he's like. He's literally just responding in love to the need that's before him. And with a couple of exceptions, Jesus's miracles um, are by and large like fairly small events. They're deeply personal. They're usually in private. They're almost immediately always like met with this like instruction to don't tell anyone about this. It's almost like he's trying, he's like, he's on the slide trying to do all these good things, but he doesn't want the word to get out. He wants it to just be for that person because what Jesus's miracles are, are not some grandiose teaching statement. They are instead the overflow of love in his heart. In other words, Jesus is healing this man because he loves him. This is a moment about trust and about relationship. This isn't about his disciples getting a, you know, a, a, a wind of what he's able to do. This is, this is just Jesus responding in love. It's not a kind of magic or a display of power or control. What is imparted from Jesus to this leper in this moment or in any of the Gospels is a response to the person's individual trust. Jesus is motivated in this moment by compassion and pity, which tells us something about his heart. That Jesus isn't like being strategic here. He's just on the earth doing 
the next right thing, the thing that he's able to do. But he immediately says, now don't tell anyone. See that you say nothing to anyone. And Mark's gospel is full of these sorts of instructions. And not just Mark's gospel. Actually, many of the gospels are full of these sorts of instructions. And scholars refer to this as the messianic secret. It's this, uh, it's this sort of larger theme where Jesus, it appears, is kind of always going around and doing things. And then being like, shh, shh, don't tell it's I mean, after the, the transfiguration. So it's, he's up on the mountain. He turns into this like glorious light. Uh, Moses and Elijah appear and Peter, James, and John are there. And as he's walking down the mountain, he just says, don't tell anyone about what just happened. He, he's constantly trying to keep people quiet about this, which, which raises the question, why? Like, what's the reason for the secrecy? Why doesn't Jesus just want everyone to know what he's here doing? Jesus is intentionally keeping people from finding out who he is. In fact, the only moment in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus speaks unambiguously about who he is is actually uh, at the end when he's on trial. And the high priest asks him, are you the Christ, the Son of God? And Jesus says, I am. Now the secret's out. Now there's no more mystery. Now everyone knows. But up until that moment, Jesus is constantly seeking to let people or keep people in the dark. This is because what Jesus has to say is so open to misinterpretation. If Jesus just lets the word about him go out, people are going to assume things about him that aren't true. They're going to assume, first of all, that he's here in power to do something that we would do with power. He's going to assume, they're, they're going to assume that what Jesus is ultimately here to do is, is to upstart some sort of political revolution, which isn't what he's here to do at all. He actually is instead here to meet a much deeper and critical and crucial need for all humanity and all creation. There is something that cannot be communicated, in other words, by someone just simply saying, Jesus did this thing for me. It has to be experienced. It has to be communicated from Jesus himself. The secrecy in this story is Jesus knowing that he could be so easily misunderstood if this man runs out and broadcasts what's happened, there's no way to really explain it. The secret is that the event will change everything. The event that will change everything, which will bring the regime of God, which will forgive sins and release people from guilt and fear, is not an event brought on by naked power. Jesus is constantly taking risks of being misunderstood here. The repeated insistence on secrecy, don't go on talking about this, is... is is really a way of, of Jesus saying, I love this. This is also from Rowan Williams. He says, I know I do miracles. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. How often do I have to tell you it doesn't matter? Yeah, I know I can do miracles. That's not the point. I'm not here to save the world through a display of naked power, but I'm here to save the world literally through a demonstration of naked powerlessness. The final thing I want us to center on today before we um, come for communion is these, these words. Jesus says in response to the man, I do choose. Jesus, as he says, I do choose, does something that he, under the law, really isn't free to do. He chooses to stretch out his hand and to touch someone who he's not allowed to touch. He does this not only to cleanse the man, but to heal a deeper thing in this man. But in the process, Jesus defiles himself. 
Jesus becomes unclean in the process of cleansing the unclean person. Oftentimes in the Bible, leprosy is interpreted on two levels. Yes, it is a medical condition for sure, but also it's metaphorical. It's representative of something, something deeper, something more wrong with, with us as people, with the world as it is. And Jesus chooses to cross a line that he's not supposed to cross and to put himself in the skin of another person to touch a person who, who no one else would touch. And in so doing, making himself leprous. John Orberg writes in his book, God is Closer Than You Think. Um, Isaiah cried out to God one day, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And one day God did. How could Isaiah have no, had known? Um, how can any of us know what coming down would cost God? The story of incarnation is a story of love. Father Damien was a priest who became famous for his willingness to serve lepers. He moved to Kalawao, a village on the island of Molokai in Hawaii that had been quarantined to serve as a leper colony. And for 16 years, he lived in their midst. He learned to speak their language. He bandaged their wounds, embraced the bodies that no one else would touch, preached to the hearts that would otherwise have been left alone. He organized schools, bands, and choirs. He built homes so that the lepers could have shelter. He built 2,000 coffins by hand so that when they died, they could be buried with dignity. Slowly, it was said, Kalawao became a place to live rather than a place to die, for Father Damien offered hope. Father Damien was not careful about keeping his distance. He did nothing to separate himself from his people. He dipped his fingers in the poi bowl along with his patients. He shared his pipe. He did not always wash his hands after bandaging open sores. He got close, and for this the people loved him. And then one day he stood up and began his sermon with two words, we lepers. Now he wasn't just helping them, now he was one of them. From this day forward, he wasn't just in their island, he was in their skin. First he had chosen to live as they lived, and now he would die as they died. Now they were in it together. And Orper goes on to write, One day God came to earth and began his message. We lepers. Now he wasn't just helping us, now he was one of us. Now he was in our skin. Now we were in it together. The story of incarnation is the story of love. Many people didn't recognize him as God, of course. They were looking for someone a little flashier. They expected more in the way of special effects, not someone who would take on all of our limitations. Many people saw him, but only few recognized him. Those who missed him did not generally do so out of a lack of knowledge. What blinded them was pride. As Jesus crosses the threshold towards this man and chooses to take his uncleanliness onto himself, he is communicating something to us. And that is this. He does choose, because of love, to make it possible for you and me to be whole. He does choose it, even though it costs him everything. We're in the final week before Lent. In fact, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and hope that you'll join us out here in the parking lot throughout the day to receive ashes. It's a holy day in the beginning of a holy season in which we fix our gaze on the cross. And for six weeks, we think deeply about what it means that God moved with pity in his heart out of an abundance of love, crossed the threshold and said, I do choose no matter what it costs to be with you, but not just to be with you, but to make you whole, to cleanse you. 
It is an extended time of looking at God's willingness to be defiled so that we could be undefiled. An extended remembering that I need to be cleansed. I don't just need, as Jenny said a couple weeks ago, I, just don't need, I don't just need good manners. Jesus didn't die on the cross to teach us good manners, to teach us how to be nice people. Jesus died on the cross because we needed to be cleansed. We needed to be forgiven. We needed to be made whole. And that was only going to be possible if Jesus looked at us and said, I do choose. As Paul says it, if someone could become right with God through obedience to the law, then Jesus died in vain. Rather, as Paul says in another place, God took him who knew no sin, who was clean, who was welcome in the sight of God. God took him who knew no sin to become sin, to become leprous, to become defiled, so that we could become right with God. Why? Because of his great love for you, his pity, his compassion, and his anger. All of these things are rousing in the heart of Jesus as he moves towards the cross. As he looks at you and me and says, I am willing, I do choose. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? Do I believe that there is nothing in me right now that is so broken, so defiling, that Jesus is not willing to lean towards it and put his hand on it to make it whole? That there is no distance that is too great for him to step across? That there is no story from my past that is too dark for him to come into with the light of hope and healing? Jesus looks at you and me in this moment, at the beginning of this season, and invites us into the darkness, essentially, invites us into the Lenten fasting season with the knowledge that as we move towards the cross, he's doing it because he loves us. And so we can trust him. We can trust him to put his fingers on the places in us that need to be cleansed. And so I know that we're going to pray a confession in a moment. And if you're coming to communion, you could maybe turn the video off, but a lot of you aren't able to come And I just want to give us the chance right now to confess our sins as we do and to receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers to us. So would you pray with me? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry And we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you in a few minutes. You are loved.